Ladies and gentlemen, we are now live. Welcome to a conversation with, and I am your humble host, Floyd Marshall Jr. And today I am joined by the one and only Eunice Levis. Now, ladies and gentlemen, if I went over her resume and bio, we would be here all night and she does not have all night. So we're not going to do that, but just let me say, she is an amazing award-winning filmmaker and she is a filmmaker in one of my most favorite genres, which is science fiction. I absolutely love that. And she's also in the uh, horror space. And those are two genres that you normally do not see women and especially women of color and especially, especially Afro-Latina women. <laughs> so that's like the trifecta of kiss my, you know what, I'm going to do this damn thing. Eunice. <laughs> Yes. Welcome to a conversation with, how are you? I am fantastic. Thank you so much, Floyd. Great, great, great. Now, we met through an amazing friend, Rachel Afori, and I, I, I love meeting new people. It, it's just so amazing. And the fact that I met you through Rachel is just an extra added bonus. And then we actually had the opportunity to uh, talk when was that? Sunday? Sunday at Sunday, the yeah. uh, Film Factory's uh, relaunch, which was absolutely amazing. And and I was, uh, uh, yeah, and, and it was really great to have you on the panel and to, you know, to learn some new things from you and to, you know, learn how to approach the business of filmmaking from, from, from a different point of view. But enough of that. Welcome to a conversation with where we sit down with some amazing people in the film, media, and entrepreneurial space. We're going to talk about what makes them successful and hopefully we'll give you something to help you maximize your business, but more importantly, to maximize your life. So sit back and enjoy a conversation with, and I'm your host, Floyd Marshall Jr. Eunice. <laughs> Yes. How did you get started in this business? Ooh, well, actually, I got started as a journalist. I used to work for a Spanish language daily newspaper in New York City called El Diario La Prensa. And uh, one day I had the opportunity to document a report I was doing with camera, which, I, which was not the norm for mm -hmm. my particular freelance role. And I loved it. I loved telling the, you know, the story with the visual. I love having control of that narrative, the visual narrative, and it just opened up the world of film to me. Okay, so you you caught the bug, and it's a bug that you can never get rid of. Never. <laughs> so so so, how did you then pursue it once once you decided, hey, I love this, and when did you really find that it was something that you could do and that you were good at. See, I just blew up the questions already because you, yeah. you just said, I, I got to know. <laughs> so I have a whole list, but I just blew that up. That's a great question, actually. So, you know, I think that I really jumped into the film world. I had, I used to have a company called EKG Films and originally we were doing PSAs and I was looking into just like, short documentaries and, and, and things like that. I didn't really 
fully commit to the genre component because I was very personal and I was very afraid to jump in. So we started out doing PSAs and just really giving voices to people who are underserved. And then from there, I realized that I'm pretty good at directing people. I love working with talent. I love it so much. I love the collaborative nature of film. And I love the idea of empowering people who look like the people in front of the camera, behind the camera. And so that's when my journey started. And that would probably be around 2012. Mm-hmm. That's like really when I when I really committed. Um, but I, I, you know, when I started, the, the company was 2002. That I, that I started and I didn't know what I was doing. I just knew that I wanted to get into the industry. And a, a, an old partner of mine and, and, and his dad and I, we, co- we collected all of our money and we bought a Red One camera. Mm. It's a monster of a camera. But back then it was like sleek and we were one of the first people to have it. And we actually had it like in beta form. And we just started doing that. We bought a camera, we bought lights, we were like renting it out and... I learned really quickly that I did not like the production side of it. That was mm-hmm. not my my lane. I was really more of a creative and I really enjoyed that space. So, you know, I, I kind of left the industry for a while and started just focusing really on, on PSA content, public service announcement content. And I did that for a really long time. And not until recently, maybe like five years ago, I went back into the narrative world and I decided to just jump in and do what I really wanted to do, which was tell stories within the genre space. Hmm. So why science fiction and horror? Because that's that's kind of unusual. Normally, you know, you just people just jumped in, jump into the I, I would guess I would say the regular type stuff, you know, drama, mm-hmm. comedy, things like that. Mm-hmm. But why would you take such a hiatus? And then you come back and jump into what are two of, in my opinion, two of the most difficult genres because everything's make believe, but mm-hmm. science fiction and horror, they have an extra layer because you're, you you have to world build. Yeah. So why, why, why did you decide science fiction and horror? I'll tell you. And it's something that I really genuinely feel, feel I can make up anything. I can be anyone that I want to be. No one can dictate my past. No one can tell me, no, that's not accurate. We can be anything. And so that is healing to me. It's restorative. And it get, it validates people's experiences, even, even experiences that were invalid before or just, you know, just not seen. So genre and horror, they're two... <laughs> there are two spaces that just allow you to really dream and allow you to fit in. Let's say, and and, and that's not saying that in, in comedy and in drama that doesn't exist, but I just really, really love the idea of being able to, to create without limits, without mm-hmm. the, the, the restriction of, of it being in rea- grounded in reality. So those two genres are very interesting genres but I, I want to I want to touch on science fiction I'm just going to put my question thing down because I have gone off 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 script <laughs> but you know what the, the side because I'm, I'm really intrigued by that so 
was was Octavia Butler because she is one of my favorite favorite authors. Was she one of your inspirations as far as you know becoming someone who wrote science fiction? It's funny and and, and it's <laughs> she is and she was and she continues to be. Mm -hmm. But my first inspiration for sci-fi was actually Steven Spielberg. And growing up, that's what I saw. And he sold me on that dream. He sold me on the idea that I can go to my, you know, I didn't have a backyard. I lived in a, an apartment, but I can go to, I could go outside and accidentally find an alien and then just change the world. I can be the, you know, the lead in my own story and my own adventure. And that really, really stuck with me. And it really feels good to be kind of in charge of your own narrative. And so Steven Spielberg started that dream for me. And then I and then I started just getting fuel and being built by other women, really black women mm -hmm. in those spaces. And Octavia was absolutely one of them. OK, so I, I saw in another interview where you said that you actually use. And, and help me out if I misquote this, that you, you use real life to kind of scare people into doing the right thing. What, what did you mean by that? So I think there's two things. One is I was really saying that in the space of public service announcements and how okay. they are, how, how, how to use them correctly is right. to kind of modify. You want to, to modify behavior ultimately. That's really, mm -hmm. you want people to do something. There's a call to action for every single PSA. So I wanted to use my ability to scare people <laughs> into okay. modifying behavior. But it does translate into my filmmaking because I feel like there are things that are scary to black and brown people that are just not scary to everyone else. Mm -hmm. And I think that before, there's there's a lot of conversations about it being that being a negative, but I really think that's a positive. I think that there is an there is this opportunity to build these stories in these worlds that we've never seen before because we were never present. Mm -hmm. So I'll give you an example. I saw, I forget what the name of the movie is, but there's these two little boys. They're, they're two little white boys. They steal a cop car for a joyride. If that say, and it was a coming of age story. If that same story happened to a, to a Latino or a black, two black little boys, it would be very, very different. And it can actually be a horror film. Mm -hmm. So the things that scare us and the things that are are threatening to our well-being and just our human condition in general it's very different and i think that we should embrace that i don't think that we should fight for equality in that sense because this has never been equal and so let's let's get to where we need to get to let's talk let's peel back the layers of like what that pain and that scare and that fear so when i when i tell stories i like to tell them i i call them grounded stories and and when i say grounded i literally mean stories that explore human condition and just the human experience in general. And then I add horror or I add sci-fi to it because I can build it out and, and kind of pull it apart and make it more entertaining for me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And, and you, you, you're, you're so absolutely right because that, that story that you just conveyed about the two kids in the, in the cop car, mm -hmm. you know, to them, that could be a comedy. Oh, that's so funny. That's kids being kids. But to us, Every brown, red, yellow person, especially brown and, and 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 black, we know how that normally ends up. Yeah, they ain't making it out the car. Yeah, 
It's not and, a coming and, of age movie. <laughs> yeah. And, oh no. Oh no. It's yeah. not a coming. It's not a coming of of age story for us. But that's so interesting because when you were when you were talking about the PSAs, it reminded me because I, I drive for public transportation, and this man got on my bus and he was coming from the VA, and he refused to let them do a prostate exam. Hmm. He was like, "I'm not doing it." And it just kind of reminded me of what you were just saying, because to him, that was a horror story because of so much that has happened to us as people, as people of color, when we go to the doctor. Right. We have to lean in. We have to lean yeah. into those horrors that are very real. It's very real. It's it's very real to go to the doctor as a woman and say, I have a pain in my uterus. And people are like, oh, you're fine. Here, you know, it's, 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 it's being dismissed and it's being invalidated. So it's up to us as, as, as content creators to really give those voices and really explore what that feels like and what that means to, to just not be, not be believed, you know? So, so there's horror in that. And there's, there's, you know, there's an opportunity to really explore those themes and those feelings and, and, and you know, shed light on it, but also make it real for others, and, yeah. and hopefully, you know, get people to really look into it um, and, and and start start some changes, start some conversations, and 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 also have empathy. Yes, because when you see it, you know, I never I never looked at it that way, because I would watch certain films. I'll, I'll just use an example. You know, some films in the LGBTQ GBT community. LGBTQ community, tongue-tied. And you would see certain films and you're like, wow, I never looked at it that way because that's not my reality. Mm-hmm. But that doesn't mean that it's not real. It's just not my reality. So right. when you have someone point something out like that to you, it's a good thing. But how do you how do you come up with your stories in, in science fiction or how, how what, what's your process like? Yeah, so typically I get a story idea really by observing and living. Uh, you know, if I see something that is affecting, you know, people that I love, people that look like me, people in my community, even people abroad. Right now, like the thing that's affecting me the most for some reason, I'm just, I'm just infuriated is a situation in, in the Dominican Dominican Republic and Haiti, and the mass exodus of people, the forced exodus of people. I'll, I'll be kind to my words. And um, this is an adult podcast. Here. You can be any way you want with your words. <laughs> <laughs> it's a, 18 and older. Yeah. <laughs> there is this, there's, there's stories there that we're missing. There's a way to humanize people, even through horror and sci-fi. I think the fantastical aspect of it is what brings people in. But then what makes people stay is that human connection, that universal kind of um, theme that I really love to explore. So I just observing, you know, life and things that are affecting us as, as a people. And, you know, that's that's really where I come up with, with an idea and then I just put us in it. I put us okay. everywhere. I I literally like, you know, just the other day I have an eight year old and we were we were you know creating a story for bedtime. I, I create stories with her all the time and she's like, yeah, what if she woke up and she was a unicorn? Yeah, she could be a unicorn. Why not? You know, it's just like it'd be whatever you want. And I don't restrict that. I don't restrict that type of dreaming because I feel like she can see herself in any position mm-hmm. and doing anything. So, so I I I, I find stories in everything. Um, every day. That, 
That's beautiful. So, so do you find yourself, does it, does it ever shut off? No. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my God. I really think that something's wrong with me because no, never. And you know what? Uh, I have two uh, producers that I work with all the time, Elvis Nolasco and Rachel Ofori. And she will tell you, and so Elvis, that I text them ideas all day long. I know they're like, Jesus Christ, leave me alone. But all the time, I'm just like pitching all the time. I have notes that I save, notebooks of just of, of ideas, of short stories, of of a scene. I've, I've written out scenes just like, you know, an entire act, let's say, worth of just random scenes that I just really want to see at some point. So I have to get it out. It doesn't end. It doesn't turn off. And sometimes I can't even sleep. I just have to write. Yeah. And, and the reason I asked that question, I, I asked that of a lot of creatives because that is such a common theme throughout that if you wake up in the middle of the night, sometimes you can just say, well, kiss goodbye because I'm not going back to sleep. And that happens yes. to me a lot. That's why I asked that question. I'll be yes. like, oh, damn, it's yeah. one o'clock in the morning. I, get, I have to get up at three. Well, yep. there, there goes that. So, okay. <laughs> yeah. So I watched your film today, Invade. Yeah. Oh my goodness. <laughs> there, there are there were so many things to love about that film. But but where where did the concept for that film come from? Man, living in Pennsylvania. <laughs> so fracking, when I when I moved from New York um, to Pennsylvania, fracking was a hot item, in, talking item in terms of the the political, you know, the political world at that time. So fracking in Pennsylvania started the idea. And I thought, what if we made a mistake? What if we dug too deep? Uh, what if we made a borehole that penetrated the, the you know, the, the, um, the pen that penetrated the earth way too deep? What if we moved the, you know, the, the, it was just, it was just like, it just snowballed into all these like, what ifs, what would we find down there? What kind of material? If we, in you know, went and penetrated the earth so far, so deep that we find materials that we've never encountered before, that we find um, organisms and bacteria and all of these things. And that's kind of where it began. Just, just thinking of the worst case scenario <laughs> with the fracking that was going on in the state of Pennsylvania. Okay. So you you get this idea you say okay i'm going to i'm going to write this script so now how do you go from concept to script to actually shooting yeah so that was a little different for invade was a little bit different because invade happened right when covid kicked off mm. um, so we had we ended up having to started twice we were in pre-production we were already uh, in rehearsals and i had to call it off rewrite the script to get less people in contact. And then a year later we shot it. So I originally wrote it as a series and the short is a standalone short, but it was also a concept short so that we can kind of pitch it as a series. So I have my series built out. I have this world and actually my lead Elvis Nolasco was the person that I always wanted to play the lead. And I reached out to him, I got him first. He joined, he joined as lead and as producer. And then COVID, having that break of COVID really allowed us to 
develop a stronger friendship so that by the time we shot the next year, he's like my brother. Like mm. we were just like, all right, you know, and now even more so, but back then it felt so natural to tell him again, okay, you, you know, he already knew what was happening. He was there in the development and he was just there every step of the way. So I developed this short again, based off of the series, just to kind of t- create that world and what the atmosphere would look like and what some of the themes would be created that I pitched it to, to Elvis and his team. And then I got, and I, and I obviously work with uh, Berman Fanellis, who is also a producer on, uh, on Invade. And he also was from the inception down <laughs> for mm. the series. And then of course, I'm, I'm at that point, I'm in, I'm in Pennsylvania. I mean, you know, I've known Kevin Hackenberg, who is a local filmmaker. Um, I've known him for many years. And I said, Kevin, I need an AD. I know this is not your space, but I need someone that number one, I know number two, we can keep close because of COVID. And he has a lot of resources in Philly. Mm. And I need, I need a producer. I need a line producer. I needed so many things. And he's like, I have someone. And he introduced me to Rachel. Oh wow. Literally day one, we meet, she's in the car and we're scouting locations and we're like, you're like literally she's like climbing on things running i'm like this girl is nuts so <laughs> we we blocked the areas that we were going to use we we locked our our locations in, in i think that week like literally she dropped everything and we went and physically saw everything and and we got to work and we shot like i think she came on board in january and february we were already working we were already on set and it was amazing and she bought a lot of her her team and her people that she's worked with and, and and even her interns and just you know it was just a real love fest <laughs> and wow. um and we we received so much uh, so much love and so much support on set and also in in invade Brian Brian Anthony Wilson was in it the the young boy um Justin de la Cruz and Chris Vita. uh it was just amazing we did it in North Philly and in media all local. We employed almost 70 local artists and um, and freelancers and just independent folks that own, you know, their own properties and their own businesses. And it was just amazing. It was an amazing experience. Wow. So, so yeah, Brian is a very good friend of mine. Uh, I've known Brian for years and he's actually, he shot, he shot a film with, uh, he shot one of my films. He was, he's the star in, in one of my films back when I was actually doing that. But I want to go back for a second because you talked about Kevin introducing you to uh, Rachel. Yes. So the power of collaborating and relationships, mm-hmm. and we we kind of touched on that uh, Sunday. But can can you explain to a new filmmaker who may be watching, or yeah. will be watching in the future, or listening? the power and the importance of collaborating the right way and networking and building the right relationships because then you end up with with uh, what you have and invade because it is an amazing film thank you um i would say and i always say this even to my students i say you know look for what you like and follow that path right but when you're building your your tribe 
look for people within your community that are doing things that are similar to what you're doing. You don't have to go, like, obviously we're in Philly. You don't have to go to LA to, you know, collaborate. Start here. Start here and grow and 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 really kind of sharpen your tools. I would say, you know, go to mixers, go to, you know, film festivals, go to pr- any kind of programming, you know, support people's fundraisers. We, we can only, you know, kind of lean on each other. With Kevin, I met Kevin through another friend of mine, Hakeem Hudson, introduced us. And we, I'm talking about, I don't even know how long ago this was, we met because he rented the red one from us wow. a million years ago. And we did a, a, a music video for Barrington Levy um, in Philly. It was the coldest day I have ever experienced. But Kevin was just awesome. I think it was Augustus Films who produced it. I met all these people and I started to see that the more I got to to kind of meet and learn, the, you know, of people in my city, the more work I was getting, the more experience. And I really got to understand what I was good at. Mm. I would never know that if I didn't, if I wasn't on set and say, no, I don't like this. I like this. I love working with him. I love how he, that director keeps things moving. I love how the safety coordinator does this and just learning. You can't, there's so many pieces of the puzzle. You have to collaborate and you have to know how to guide that ship. And you won't know that until you start to really develop your, your, you know, your resources and your contacts. So I would say, super long-winded, but I would say, no. you know, collaborate with people locally, see what's going on. See, look, look at your, go to the film office and on the website and see what's in production right now. There's always a ton of things that are listed. Reach out. Hey, can I shadow you on your set? Can I, you know, do you need someone to do catering? Do you need a, a you know, makeup artist? Whatever it is that that you feel you are ready to lend, whatever talent you feel you feel you're ready to lend, at this point, go in that way. You don't have to be a director to, you know, it, 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 people think that you have to start big and you can start mm-hmm. small, you know. So I, I started renting a camera that I owned. I was that on that set. I was nothing. I was I was a vendor. But Kevin allowed me to be on set and I got to experience all that and I got to become his friend and I met other people and we ate chicken together. You know, like it's We broke bread. Like it's just that kind of look for those types of experiences. And it doesn't always have to be something where you're coming in top level. Hey, everybody, it's Floyd Marshall, host of A Conversation With. Have you ever listened to a podcast and said to yourself, I'd like to ask him a question? Well, you can just message me with a question or a comment, and I'll make sure to respond to it in the very next episode. To your success. Visit anchor.com to send Floyd a question. Now, see, I had a question, but I got to ask another one because you said something so important that I got to I got to come in on it. Let's go. <laughs> you said you rented the camera mm-hmm. and well, you were something on the set, but you weren't. I'm taking it. You weren't a part of the yeah, actual production. production. I was a vendor. But he allowed you to watch. Yeah. 
because I asked. Can you explain the important, again, if there is a new filmmaker listening to this or will be yes. listening to this, can you explain the importance of when you have the opportunity to sit on a set, mm -hmm. even if you're not in the production, what you should be doing? Yes. Now, you, you mentioned some of it, but but yeah. can we go a little deeper? Because that, so, that's profound. They need to hear that. Yeah. So, okay. So in this particular experience, we got there, obviously we, we, you know, we set up the camera, we handed it over to their, to the DP and the DIT and kind of went through all that. And then I was literally a fly on the wall. We were, you know, off to the side, freezing, but seeing everything, seeing how, you know, the second unit worked, how the second unit collaborated with the first unit. Like you have to have a certain budget to be able to afford two units of camera departments. So that was, that was a, an amazing experience. I had never experienced that before. We were primary camera. And then the secondary camera was some, some other digital camera. But the idea of knowing or seeing that in action, that orchestrated, you know, and it, it's not that it's the way, it's one way that I've learned. And now I can always challenge it or build on it. But I have that experience like, oh, this is what they do. Oh, they break for lunch. And then the other ones, you know, I didn't know that then. Like people think that they, they just know is obvious. No, it's not, you know, <laughs> learning. So what I did on set was I was quiet. I observed, I wrote down my questions. And then at lunch, we sat down, we ate. I asked questions. I asked why, you know, why they were, you know, basically, why were you dumping uh, footage even before, it, you know, wasn't it, wouldn't it take longer? And they're like, no, we want to check it. We want to make sure, you know, we have someone checking it. I never checked footage before. I just used to like fill my little card up, dump it and mm. keep it rolling because I didn't have the money to do that. So right. this was a bigger production and I was able to see how that worked. So yeah, there's no shame in, in learning and coming in and asking. There's no stupid questions. And even if the question sounds stupid or stupid, to, you know, to, you're embarrassed to ask, ask it anyway. There's no, there's no better opportunity than a hands-on type of, you know, you're on set and you're right there in the thick of it. And, you know, it was, it was just a great experience. So I would say, be quiet. Don't interrupt the flow of the set. When you have an opportunity, ask your questions and follow up and be gracious. That's it. Be, hmm. be gracious. Yeah. And you know what? The, the, the dumb question thing, even if it's a question that's not even in the realm of whatever they may be doing at that moment, it lets whoever know that you're paying attention. Right. So that down the line, when you may come back and say, okay, I'd like to work for you, or I'd like to work on this particular film set, they'll be mm -hmm. like, oh, you know what? I remember Eunice, she was very attentive. She, she, was, she was watching, she was, she was note-taking, and she asked me some interesting questions, <laughs> you know? And, <laughs> Right. And, 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 you, and you never know. But I want to go back to Invade for a second because yeah. you what, what you you um I, I wrote it down. It was the um NALIP Latino Lens Women of Color short film incubator. Yes, the now, was that, with, that was a, that was that was with Invade, correct? No, that was with Rose. Oh, was Stardust. it with Rose? Yes. Rose Stardust. Yes. Okay. So Nalip, the incubator. So annually, Nalip, uh, through their Latino Lens um, arm <laughs> or division, they have a fellowship that is the Latino Lens Women of Color Incubator and is funded or supported by Netflix. 
So we were one of four um, projects that were chosen um, to be developed through this incubator. So what it was, I wrote Rowan the Stardust and submitted it for consideration. And once it was selected, we, it was literally like, we just ran with it. Like we were selected in, I want to say June or maybe... I don't remember the time from. I know we had a very short amount of time from selection to production. So we were selected, we kicked off in July, and we were in production in June. In I'm sorry, in August. Um, the fellowship at that point gave us $25,000 to produce the short. And they gave us that they gave us about oh, I wish I wish Rachel was here so I could ask her. She, she handled post, but I think. I think we had like five or six weeks of post-production okay. after to deliver it. So it was really tight and really aggressive, but it was just such an amazing uh, learning experience. And um, Nali, that resource and that just that whole structure was very supportive and very just important in the development of, of Rowan the Stardust. Wow. So the timeline that you just laid out was, was very quick. It was very fast. Yeah. Is that the norm for that type of uh, fellowship when okay. you have to have everything right now, let's mm -hmm. go, we gave you money, there is no yeah. time to waste? Yes, <laughs> that is the norm. And typically, you have maybe like six months, but normally what they want you to do is have it done within that, within that fiscal year. I, obviously, it's for budgetary reasons, but also you have to be ready to go. So when you submit, and I always tell people this, like when you submit to these fellowships, obviously you have your script, but have your production plan handy. Know who your people are going to be. Know where, have a rough idea of like, I want to shoot here. You know, I think that this is going to take two to three days. I would love, you know, uh, whatever, whatever major like must have moments. I, my must have moment was the junkyard, obviously for Rowan the Stardust. That was my must have moments. And so we worked really hard to find that and we scouted and, and, uh, Trent Watts is the DP and he and I went out twice to go scout and make sure that the angles were right and that it is exactly what we wanted, but we did it in a, such a short amount of time, but it also kind of gets you in that mode where you have to tweak things and you have to be on your feet, especially as a director, things don't go the way you plan. They just don't. Somebody's sick. For us, <laughs> the New York City Triborough bike race was happening and we didn't know. And mm. it was pushed back because of COVID. And it was supposed to happen the weekend before and something, I forget what it was, postponed it and pushed it to the day that we were shooting. We couldn't stop it because we had already contracted all the locations but also all the crew so we just had to go for it and no one can tell that we had a couple of hours of like hundreds maybe thousands of bike riders passing through our set and we just handled it we did what we had to do and, and you know it was it's just being ready being ready knowing what you want ultimately and that the changes that you make are still going to tell the story that you have. Hmm. So first of all, how did you guys pull that off? With with how did you guys do that? <laughs> the bike the, the bike riders. How did you guys do that? Oh, so when so I had an awesome AD, Anna okay. Morris, and she 
on the day of she swapped out what we were going to oh, shoot in that area versus right. and the and the only thing is like the sun you have to consider where the sun sets and stuff like matching matching that so it's a little bit of panic attack at on set but for the most part we were able to get everything that we needed swapping out um scenes really worked and uh that's it just we had a great great ad Hmm. So let's stay on this for a second, because you you know everything that you mentioned was so important, and it it kind of put me in a uh, in a mindset of you really have to know the business of this business because of the fact that the fellowship wanted things and they wanted them in a specific time and they wanted it done properly because again they wrote you guys a check so. Right. For for those who who are uh, going to be listening, and and they're deciding that this is something that they want to do, mm-hmm. how important is it for them to learn the business of this industry? It's extremely important. I think that oftentimes, I honestly, this process, I've I've been I've I've worked with SAG, I've I've done that paperwork, I've done, but the expectation of the fellowship is that you're going to be ready for distributions. The moment someone says, I want to distribute, you have everything. You have your contracts, your, your, your cue, your, your, you know, your cue sheet, your music, your clearances, everything has already been done. So once we submitted that final cut, all those, all that paperwork and all of that just legal component of it is also part of the package so that when someone wants to pick it up, you don't have to worry about it. Get your lawyer, get your signatures, and give them your packet. So that was something that I learned was that having all of your your legal documentation and also just the the documentation of your work completed during post production is essential to being ready for not only distribution but also submission to festivals. Like by the time we were ready to submit to festival, we had every piece of asset that we needed. Hmm. Because we understood, like, so, you know, obviously, like I said, we had our cue sheet, we had our, I mean, we could tell you, there's, there's a, there's even a sheet tracking how many words everybody speaks. So we really, really did everything that we possibly need to get us to that point, because that is the expectation that we're going to be prepared on a higher level. And that this is, these, these are the things that people expect when they hire you, when you're hired and you know, some, somebody's paying you, they expect you to know your project in and out. And they expect you to have taken care of that paperwork and that you're ready for that. So none of this in the future will be a surprise to me because I know that as silly as it sounds, how big is the logo at the end? Well, you know, the logo at the end is about a two inch logo. you know, like what, what it, you know, that, that those mundane kind of information that you think you don't really think about, but now I do. Hmm. So. So that that kind of goes into what we talked about. Der- Derek Hammond's in uh, here, but it kind of goes into what we talked about on Sunday: the the production value and the commercial viability of your film, and having all of those things in place, so that when they do come calling for you, you can just hand it over. Right. So really quickly, what happens if you don't have that stuff lined up? Mm. Well, first you wouldn't be part of the fellowship because <laughs> because you you'll fail your your contract your you know your contractual 
you're contractually bound to bound to have all of those things delivered. So I wouldn't want to think what could actually happen. But <laughs> hypothetically, <laughs> if you don't have all those things, you're going to be going back and trying to track down everyone to sign off on it. You're going, it's just, it's just such a headache. It's mm. going to be extra money because you're going to have to hire someone to help you, but you also need legal representation. And you just look like you're not ready for the opportunity. Mm. And I always say like, stay ready. Just stay ready. Like I'm waiting for my opportunity, but trust that we're ready. You know, <laughs> we're ready for it. But, and, and and we are, but if you're not ready, if someone, if, if tomorrow, if Steven Spielberg calls me tomorrow and say, Hey, I saw you on Floyd Marshall's podcast and you said you was ready. I'm going to be like, hold on. Let me give you my two seasons of invade. Here's my pitch. I'm ready. Like, I'm just waiting for the opportunity. So everything that I'm working on, I'm working to make that opportunity a reality, but I'm ready. So, See, that's what I'm talking about. See, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> what you just heard was someone who's in the film business, but they're a business person. And that is so vitally important because oftentimes, and, and I talk about this quite a bit, creators want to create and that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. But what happens to your creation after it's created? What do you want to do with it? Now, if you're just going to show it to your friends, okay, fine. But if you plan on looking to become a part of a fellowship or looking to get distribution, you know, you have to have your deliverables, Some, you know, things have to be in place. So that, that was a def, definitely a masterclass. So ladies and gentlemen, if you don't listen to anything else that, you know, on this podcast, I hope you listen to that, you know, phenomenal two, two to three minutes of what Eunice just laid down. Rowan of Stardust is an Oscar qualifying film. Yes. What happened when you got that news? Whew. So, I got it in an email and I was like, what? <laughs> like, I, I had to like, I screenshot and I sent it to Elvis and Rachel. And I was like, guys, am I reading this right? I highlighted it. I circled it. I was like, is this us? And then it didn't become a reality until the press release was out. And I just sat there like, oh my gosh. Like, I, I, so we did it. Okay. So we won best narrative short at the Real Sisters of the Diaspora Film Festival. Of course, it would be like sisters just validating my journey and my vision. And it felt really special, especially as, as part of the diaspora where we don't really, you know, I, I, I live in this, this dual world, world full of dualities, right? I'm black, I'm brown, I'm, I'm, I'm an immigrant, but I'm also American. And, and all of these things are part of me but I don't necessarily see that experience. And mm -hmm. so Real Sisters really made that, just, just really validated my experience in my voice. And it, it felt fantastic, I must say. But then getting the call and getting the, the, the email and the congratulations, it was surreal. I still honestly, even hearing it sounds bizarre to me. Just like, oh my God, don't say that. <laughs> it's so weird, but, um, but yeah, it was, it was just a, a really special moment. I got to share it with my producers and, and also Azus Pictures. We reached out and, and we said, Hey guys, we're Oscar qualified. And I just couldn't even, I, it was nothing that I, I did not expect it. I really mm -hmm. didn't. 
And it just made me feel like I'm I'm heading in the right direction. I'm I have to stay within my I have to stay true to my voice mm-hmm. because people are gonna find me. And that's really what, and even the, the director of, of Real Sisters, I, I, I told her, I was like, you know, I really thought hard, this is a bilingual film and it's English and Spanish. And I thought I wanted to be very, very intentional with, with that, with the language choice, with the choice of people with, you know, it's, it's three, it's the multi-generational story. You know, I have a first-time actress, Yolanda Nolasco, which is Elvis Nolasco's mother. I'm actress. She did an amazing job, and she did it for her son because she does never wants to act again. Okay. She, did, she did it for her son. She did it for me. I asked her, you know, to please do it because I saw her. I wanted to be culturally correct, and mm-hmm. I wanted everyone to have this, you know, all the, the the family members to have the same dialect to have the same kind of, they're from the same space. Um, so that so that it feels gra- grounded and real. Um, and even telling them, she she was so funny. She was like, oh yeah, I did a good job. I'm like, yes. Hell yeah. I, I, I think, uh, yeah, I think you did. <laughs> and she's just like, okay. And then she goes <laughs> on and like goes to the kitchen. I'm like, what? But um, yeah, it was fun telling her. She's, she's, she's a trip. Fun telling her, fun telling, just sharing it with everyone. But the idea that I really wanted Rowan the Stardust to be a vehicle for the whole team to elevate where they want to go to get them there. And I, I, it felt like as a director, like I got the team there. They can always say, hey, I worked on an Oscar qualifying film. And I, I did that as a director. And that's what felt good. It's not even the what happens next. It's the fact that everyone's work came together in such a beautiful way. And we made something that was of, of a high caliber that everyone can be proud of. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. That is, that is beautiful. And, and I'm extremely proud of you myself. And it really just shows you. And for the people that look like us, that you are capable of doing these things even when someone says you're not, yeah. if you just put your head down and don't allow other people's disbeliefs to kind of derail you from what your purpose is, right. it's, it's a beautiful thing. And you end up with an Oscar qualifying film. So you now have an Oscar qualifying film and you talked about wanting this film to be authentic and it kind of leads which is which is a phenomenal segue into a question that that i had sent you and you kind of corrected me on and i want to talk about that a little bit about you know dreams kind of deferred and then kind of taken in another direction with you having this film because i'm more than sure that you had people kind of tell you because making films is hard but i'm sure you've had people say well are you sure you're built for that who told you as a dominican you know first generation american woman that you were capable you didn't do this you didn't go to film school you didn't la 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 you know you 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 hear all the so with 
your parents having had to do what they had to do as far as deferring their dreams and then changing them. How has that shaped you today as, as a, a female filmmaker, a black female filmmaker? Yeah. So, so my mom wanted to be a nurse. She just wanted to be a nurse. She had no path, but that's her want. My dad wanted to be a professional baseball player, specifically a Yankee. And he was, he was in the minor leagues. He came here to the United States on a sports visa and injury and just circumstances of life. He ended up working in a factory. When they came here, their dreams were put on hold and, and they changed because they assimilated and their dreams were, were then became hopes and wishes for my brother and I. Mm -hmm. And they did everything they could to make sure that whatever we dreamt, we can actually achieve. And, and, you know, and starting a family here was part of that. I think that, that I, I, I'm, and I keep using this word, but it's, it's very real. I make, I validate them as humans. I validate my ancestors and, and just the, everyone who, who had a part of their journey and my journey. My mom is, is right now, she's, she's very proud and my father's deceased now, but I know that you would be very proud as well. I think that it took them losing their dreams for me to be able to be here. Mm -hmm. And, and kind of reconfiguring that and what, you know, what that looks like. Sometimes we, we do put to the side, like, for example, I, I took a long hiatus and started to work specifically in, you know, in the, in the, I had a, a different job in a corporate sector, although I was still writing and, and doing marketing and stuff like that. It wasn't what I wanted to do, but I had to defer that dream to be a mom and take care of my, you know, my children. But now that I'm in the position where I'm allowing myself to dream and I'm allowing myself to understand that my creative side can become a business and I can, I can support my family on this. And I am chipping away at, the, at, at that possibility, but I don't think that I would have, I don't think that I would have the tools you know, the, like the, the balls to do it if it wasn't for my family being like, you're either going to defer that dream or you're going to do it. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no in between. And yeah, and just out of respect for the fact that they did defer their dream to fuel and to support their children, I'm doing this for them as well. That's beautiful. And, and you know what? When you become a parent, they become the most important thing in the world. Yes. So you know, sometimes you have to put on your big boy pants, your big girl pants, and you say to yourself, this is what I want to do. And this is, but this is what I have to do. Right. Because, you know, I mean, I have both of my children are grown now, but for a long time, you know, there were certain things that I couldn't do, but now that, mm -hmm. you know, they're grown, we're empty nesters. I'm beginning to pick that steam back up. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But it is it is what it is. But you know what? That just shows, you know, kiss your mom and kiss your dad tonight if, if you haven't yeah. and tell them you love them because yeah. they, they make so many sacrifices for you that you don't yeah. understand at the time. But then when you yourself become a parent, you're like, wow, they did that for me. Yeah. You know, so the fact that 
you now have an Oscar qualifying film, the fact that Invade is doing so well, the fact that you're an award-winning filmmaker, the fact that you are really becoming recognized and you're so talented, that is a feather in their cap. Yeah. You know, My mom like, I won the Oscar already, by the way. Well, you did. All the time, like, no, no way. No, 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 no. See, I'm going to, now see, I'm going to correct you. <laughs> Claim that. Claim it. Got it. Claim it. Because in her, I'm very big in the manifestation and they talk yeah. about, you know, write it down, say it, claim it, visualize it, speak it. And she's already done that. So yeah. to her, it's a, it's a done deal. So for me, it's a done deal. So it's a done deal. So yeah. the next <laughs> time you come on the show, you'll be having, you know, your gold statuette. Yeah. And then I can actually say, <laughs> I actually got to interview an Oscar yeah. winning filmmaker. <laughs> yes. On my show. That's what, that's what's <laughs> up. Yeah. So, Eunice, yeah. what is next? Ooh, what is next? Well, we have our Oscar run next year. So, we will spend 2023 trying our best to um, get people to vote for us so that we can be shortlisted for the 2024 Oscars. So that's that, you know, marketing our our position and, and, and getting people to vote for us is going to be part of 2023. I'm going to be in production for, I'm directing a short film. It's the first film. It's called Affordable Housing. It's the first film that I'm directing that I didn't write. It was written by oh, wow. Wimoto Nayoka, and she is an awesome collaborator and now my friend. She's she's amazing. <laughs> she is amazing. And I'm just having a blast. And we just started really early pre-production now. And so it's a campy horror short and it's uh, based in Philly and it's going to be amazing. I can't wait. And what else? Uh, continuing to kind of push and develop Invade as a series and uh, Roland Stardust feature I am uh, developing and it's called To the Moon. Okay. And those are the things that I'm doing next year. Beautiful. So where can people find you? Because they need to know where you are so they can follow yeah. you. So when you win that Oscar, they can come on your <laughs> Instagram live and say, I was a part of that. Where can they find you? All right. So the easiest way to find me is through my website, EuniceLevis.com. If, because everything is there, it's so much easier than to tell you <laughs> all the different handles. So EuniceLevis.com. If you want to check out uh, specifically Invade stuff, you can go to InvadeTheMovie.com. See, you know what? Now you just said your last name. Yes. And when I first saw that, I was like Eunice Levi's. But then when I listened to an interview, somebody said Eunice Levis. I said, I've been saying it wrong. I was saying <laughs> it right. So ladies and gentlemen, I am going to introduce her again. Welcoming <laughs> to the show, Eunice Levi's, not Eunice Levis. I thought I had it right, but hey, I'm so glad you said that. Well, Eunice, this was an absolutely amazing interview. And next year, which is next week, uh, basically, right. <laughs> when when you guys start your Oscar marketing, I would love for you and the team to come on the show so yeah. we can do a live and blast this on all our platforms uh, because we need people to see this. We need people to vote for this. I, I, I hope 
to see you guys in, in Los Angeles because if you submit to the one that I told you about, it's yes. definitely they're definitely getting in. So it would be lovely to see we you guys submit, out and oh great. So I'll be seeing you uh in Los Angeles in July. <laughs> I am claiming that right now. Awesome. But this was absolutely amazing. I am it, it, it's such an honor and a pleasure to meet you. Um I'm I'm always happy to meet dynamic people that really, really, really care about this business and you are definitely one of those people any parting words oh my goodness any parting words well please support black and brown voices in horror and sci-fi and just different spaces be part of my tribe follow me and i will follow you back <laughs> okay and we are going to end it right there so ladies and gentlemen thank you so much we have a couple people and actually i think your sister was in the room earlier. I can't see her name. Rosalind. Oh, yes, yes. Yes, she was here earlier. I saw her. I saw her. Um, her comment. But Monique, thank you so much. Samantha, Derek, thank you so much for for being here. And those some some people I can't see. But guys, thank you so much for being here. I truly appreciate spending this last hour of your time with myself and Eunice Levi's Oscar yes. Award winning. <laughs> filmmaker. Yeah. You heard it here second because her mother said it first and I am not trying to get in the way of that. So ladies and gentlemen, thank you again so much and we'll thank just end you. it with this. Love this like a hobby, but by all means, treat it like a business. Have a phenomenal week and if you, so, if you uh, what is that? If you uh, good grief. If you celebrate the holidays, wow, if you celebrate the holidays, have a Merry Christmas and have a Happy New Year. All right, New everyone, Year, have a great night. Take care. Thank you. Bye, guys.